everyone. Welcome back for another week of Sisters in Crime. I am your co-host, Sarah, joined by Kate. Hi. And today we're going to be talking about one of Philadelphia's most baffling crimes that continues to stump police for the past 60 years. So last week was Thanksgiving and we definitely gave you a doozy and um, this week's another doozy. So Mm -hmm. it's a very sad one. It's about a little boy. So if you don't like that kind of stuff, um, I guess go ahead and skip this episode and Kate will give you a brand new episode next week. Yippers. So I'm just going to go ahead and dive right in. In February of 1957, a young muskrat hunter set out to check his traps set near a park just north of Philly. As the young boy moved through the brush, he found a small cardboard box. And inside this box was the naked body of a young boy wrapped in a plaid blanket. And fear that the police would confiscate the young boy's traps, he didn't report what he had found to the authorities. Um, that's messed up. Yeah. So a few days later, a college student was driving down the road close to the scene when the, he noticed a bunny running alongside the road. The college student knew there were traps in the area, so he stopped to make sure the animal was safe. And as he sifted through the underbrush looking for the rabbit, he stumbled onto the bassinet box with the small boy wrapped in plaid inside. Mm-hmm. The student reported his findings to authorities, but not until the next day, because from my research, he was kind of a creeper and he was actually kind of spying on the students at the girls, the all girls school, uh, right across the street, which is close <laughs> to where. Yeah. <laughs> What's yeah. up with these boys in this area? I don't know. I don't know. At least he reported it. Yeah. True. Upon arrival, authorities noticed the boy's hair had been recently chopped, possibly after his death. And because there were these, like, little clumps of hair that clung to the body, indicated kind of like, you know, when you cut your hair, there's always, like, these little remnants of hair. So the boy's body showed signs of severe malnourishment as well as surgical scars on the ankle and the groin. There was Mm -hmm. also an L-shaped scar under his chin. And the boy also appeared to not have any needle marks from vaccinations. So, which is interesting to me because I didn't necessarily know that needles could make indications like that i guess yeah on a small child um but apparently in my research that was something that was noted so this probably yeah. is a boy maybe of like a lower class um mm-hmm. where maybe they didn't have health insurance and they didn't have the money to get the boys vaccinations like a normal kid you know yeah. a, a higher class yeah that's what that's what i was gonna say i wasn't aware that you could tell they were like Right. There had been signs that someone had been vaccinated. Right. So interesting. So moving on, I just want to inform you guys that, again, this is uh, of a little boy. There's a trigger warning. It's going to be graphic. So if this is something that, I mean, you're you're listening to a true crime podcast, so I don't think these things bother you very much. But I do just want to mention that it is going to get graphic um, the rest yeah. of the episode. So I just want to warn you guys with that. According to an article published by stories of the unsolved.com, the autopsy reported that the little boy had died due to blunt force trauma to the head with four round shaped bruises on the forehead and his face was blood drained. 
This could have been an indicator that the little boy experienced years of abuse with additional bruising all over his body. Despite the extensive bruising on his body, it appeared the boy didn't experience any broken bones or deformities. The ME noted the little boy's ribs were showing through his skin, confirming <gasps> malnourishment. And it was difficult for the medical examiner to determine a time of death due to the rainy, cold weather Philadelphia was experiencing when the boy was found. The ME estimated the boy could have died within the last few days to a few weeks. With the condition the box was in when they found the boy, the ME leaned more towards the boy dying within the last few days of being found. A few more things the ME noted was the soles of both of the boy's feet were rough and wrinkled, indicating that those limbs had been submerged in water close to when he died. His esophagus contained a dark brown residue, indicating he'd vomited shortly before his death, despite not having eaten for two to three hours prior. Wow. So the water, um, they said that Philadelphia was like cold and rainy when they found him could mm -hmm. that have been something or i don't i mean it was definitely an indicator i think it helped determine when the little boy died but i don't think it was enough i mean there's a difference between being out in the rain and then taking a bath i mean your skin looks different right true. very true so i think um the rain the weather the rainy weather in philly did help indicate um with the timeline but I don't think it necessarily showed like his exact death. I don't, I don't think that yeah. was the big indicator in that. So the ME explained the young boy was three foot six inches and only weighed 30 to 40 pounds. He had blue eyes, medium to light brown curly hair and a fair complexion. He was between four and six years old. Oh, that is so yeah. sad. Yeah. So again, this is of a young boy and it gets graphic. So if you're not comfortable with this, We'll see you next week with yeah. Kate's graphic episode. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but really, it's hard talking about kids. But It really I, is. Sometimes I think it's necessary because these things still happen to kids, too. Well, I do want to say that this is still an unsolved case. Mm -hmm. So I want to bring awareness to it, even with our small little podcast. Exactly. Maybe it'll blow up one day. I don't know. But with the few you know listeners that we do have today, I, it's worth a shot. I mean... I want to bring awareness to this case. So mm -hmm. that's why I feel like it's necessary. Exactly. So there were roughly 270 police academy recruits who combed the scene over and over again. The recruits did find a man's blue corduroy cap, a child's scarf, and a man's white handkerchief with the letter G on the corner. And they did have these items sent out to the lab in hopes of finding some kind of evidence, such as DNA, that would hopefully lead them to a suspect. But unfortunately, nothing came back, and it was a dead end. The boy's fingerprints were taken. The case had attracted massive media attention in Philly and the Delaware Valley. The Philadelphia Inquirer printed 400,000 flyers with the boy's description, which were sent out and posted across Philly. And they also included these flyers in every gas bill in Philly. And police were optimistic at first that the little boy would soon be identified since they were taking such measures to get the little boy's identity out. But, of course, no one ever came forward with any useful information. That's crazy. I know. So police made an effort to canvas neighborhoods, checked with every hospital, orphanage, and foster home in the area, but every child was accounted for. And still, with no leads, officials decided to release a post-mortem photograph of the boy fully dressed and in a seated position. 
showing what he may have looked like in real life, but nothing came of this either. Oh, so they like positioned him after right. he died. Yeah, I mean, they wow. were, they had nothing else left to do. I mean, they yeah. thought, okay, this is our last hope. Maybe if we show a picture of the boy before he died, maybe somebody will recognize him and still yeah. nothing. That's crazy. I've actually, I've never heard of that. So with no leads from the case getting exposure from the media, police decided to turn their attention to the box the boy was found in. On the box, they found a serial number which traced back to a J.C. Penney store in Upper Darby, Pennsylvania. The bassinet had been sold between December 5, 1956 and February 16, 1957. A search of records showed that only 12 were sold, and the lead turned cold after the police were only able to track down eight of the purchasers. Why were they only able to track down eight? <sighs> Maybe people paid with cash. I mean, True. it's in the 50s. So True. I don't know. I don't know how receipts work back then. I don't know how that really worked back then. But also, I think it's not like it is today where right. everything is traceable. Yeah. So on March 21st, 2016, we're jumping ahead a lot. <laughs> the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children released a forensic facial reconstruction of the little boy and added them into their database. So, you know, from... 1957 to 2016 there's no leads i mean they've done everything possible that they could think of and nothing came from it so in 2016 national center for missing and exploited children decided to release this facial recognition in hopes to bring attention back to this case and so it's yeah. in their database and in august 2018 barbara ray venter who is actually a genetic genealogist who helped identify the Golden State Killer using a DNA profiling technique, said she was using the same method to try and identify the little boy. Yes, Barbara. Yeah, she's pretty badass. And in an interview, an FBI agent asked her, well, how can you be so sure? As in, how can she accurately identify this little boy through DNA? And her response was, quote, as long as we have all the descendants and the family tree, then I'm sure. End quote. Oh. So if we have familial DNA in the system and as more familial DNA is added, it will raise the chances of this little boy to obtain an identity after decades of not having a name. That is so crazy what they can do. So let's talk a little bit about Barbara. Um, she is a search angel volunteer for DNAadoption.com, which is a nonprofit organization that teaches adoptees to use DNA to find their birth parents. So she, yeah, so she previously helped with finding missing birth parents and researching her own family and how she ended up basically solving the Golden State Killer case was when an email reached her inbox in March of 2015 from a San Bernardino County detective hoping to track down the parents of an abducted child and other online groups such as the Dote Network have also tried to solve his identity. So, um, yeah, through... <laughs> This this detective was like, hey, can you help me find, you know, the parents of this abducted child? And I guess through all that, she was able to solve the Golden State Killer case. Wow. That's crazy. Which is pretty insane. But yeah, yeah so other online groups such as the Doe Network um, have also tried to solve um, the identity of this little boy. And so far have been unsuccessful, but we're hoping that with familial DNA and podcasts like ours bringing you know light mm -hmm. to the case hopefully we can find something yeah 
So let's get into a little bit of theories about what happened to the boy. So uh, there are a couple of theories on who the boy in the box might be. The first theory is his relation to a nearby foster home. This theory started with Remington Bristow, an employee of the medical examiner's office who had contacted a New Jersey psychic. And the psychic told Remington to look for a house that matched the foster home's description. And when Remington brought the psychic to the Philadelphia Discovery site, she led Remington directly to the foster home. And Remington attended an estate sale held at the foster home. And during the sale, he had discovered a bassinet similar to the one sold at JCPenney. He also discovered blankets hanging on the clothesline that were similar to the one the little boy's body had been wrapped in when they discovered him. Remington believed the little boy had belonged to the stepdaughter of the man who ran the foster home, and they had theorized they disposed of his body so the stepdaughter would not be exposed as an unwed mother. And he also theorized the boy's death had been an accident. Wow. Remington pursued this case until his death in 1993, and in 1998, Philadelphia Police Lieutenant Tom Augustine, who was in charge of the investigation, gathered several members of the VIDOCQ uh, VDOC Society, which is a group of retired policemen and profilers, interviewed the foster father and the stepdaughter, whom he had married, but the foster home investigation was closed due to a lack of evidence. Hmm. So is. Right. The second theory includes a woman identified only as Martha. Only thing wrong with Martha's testimony is that she had a known history of mental illness. M claimed her abusive mother purchased the unknown boy, whose name was Jonathan, from his birth parents in the summer of 1954. And unfortunately, the boy was subjected to extreme physical and sexual abuse for two and a half years. One evening at dinner, the little boy had thrown up his meal of baked beans and was given a severe beating where his small head was slammed against the floor, leaving him semi-conscious. He was then given a bath, which he had passed away during. These details had actually matched information that was only known to the police. The coroner had found baked beans in the boy's stomach during autopsy, and his fingers were also water-wrinkled. M's mother cut the little boy's hair in an effort to conceal his identity, which coincides with the unprofessional haircut police noticed in their initial investigation. M's mother forced her to assist in dumping the little boy's body, and M said they were preparing to remove the boy's body from the trunk of the car when a passing male motorist pulled over to ask if they needed help. And was ordered to stand in front of the car to hide the license plate while her mother convinced the man that there was no problem. The story corroborated the confidential testimony of a male witness in 1957 who said that the body had been placed in a box previously discarded at the scene. Unfortunately, police were unable to verify M's story and neighbors who had access to M's house during the stated time period denied that there had been a young boy living in the house and dismissed M's claims as ridiculous. Yeah, that sounded pretty accurate until the end there. Yeah. So basically, there just was never a little boy at her house, and that's why. Or was there? I mean, M has information that nobody else knows. It was kept close to the belt. Right, that's what I'm thinking, was there really no little boy there? I mean, like, how not well to be, do your neighbors know you? Exactly. Not to be rude, but some people are oblivious. 
Right. Like my neighbors, I don't know who my neighbors are. Right. So let's move on to the burial. The boy in the box was originally buried in Potter's Field, which is a place for the burial of unknown, unclaimed, or indigenous people. In 1998, his body was exhumed for the purpose of extracting DNA, which was obtained from enamel on a tooth. He was reburied at Ivy Hill Cemetery in Cedar Brook, Philadelphia. The headstone reads, America's Unknown Child. City residents keep the grave decorated with flowers and stuffed animals, and it's an absolutely beautiful grave. There's always little like kids toys and stuffed animals on it and i'll have a picture up on our instagram and our website that's good yeah like he's unknown but he's not unforgot like he's not forgotten right right you know we just don't know his name that's all and i believe we will eventually especially with barbara on the case yeah it's just sad that yeah it's just sad that we haven't been able to figure it out yet and Mm -hmm. um I do believe that because nobody came forward, I think something tragic happened to him or he was of a lower class. Yeah. I almost feel like he, he probably was part of that foster home maybe. Cause gosh, you think, you know, you think if someone lost a child, they would check him mm-hmm. out just to be safe. You know, like you would right. do anything you can to prove that that isn't your child. Right. So those with information regarding the identity of America's unknown child are asked to contact the homicide division of the Philadelphia police department at 215-686-3334. Tips can also be called into the Philadelphia County medical examiner's office at either 215-685-7445 or 215-685-7445. Five eight. I'll have those numbers uh, linked in the show notes and also on our Instagram and our website. And that is the story of America's Unknown Child. It's very sad, very tragic, but I believe mm-hmm. with no matter how big, how small podcasts are, we want to bring light to each and every unknown case, every subject. Maybe it'll help. Maybe it won't but at least Mm -hmm. it's out there. Um, Please share this story. Make others aware, especially if you live in the Philadelphia area. Maybe you know something. Or someone you know was related to them. Maybe. So no amount of information is too small. Right. So that is our story for this week. A little short story. But we will see you next week with a Kate episode. We'll see you next week. Bye, everyone. Bye. Thank you.